episode 180, Gender and Judaism with Miriam Cosman. Welcome to How to Glow, where we get real about building the marriage of your dreams. I'm certified coach Kayla Levin, and I help married Jewish women go from surviving and overwhelmed to thriving and connected through practical tips, real life inspiration, and more than a little self-awareness along the way. Hello, my friends. So if you have been following my work at all, you know that this is a landmark, monumental, super, super exciting episode for me to be publishing to you all. Miriam Cosman's book, Circle, Arrow, Spiral, I would say is probably one of the most significant modern works on gender and its role in Judaism. And before you get concerned, if you're thinking this is now going to become like some kind of like sort of semi-political discourse or something like this, it's the opposite. And what I loved about this conversation that we're going to be sharing with you is that you really see the philosophy and concepts that Miriam has so beautifully and fully developed and how this can actually be applicable to your life. That's what I'm trying to do for you during the course of this interview is bring this down into something that can affect the decisions that we make, the focuses that we have in our lives, how we want to show up and what does it mean to show up in a masculine energy versus a feminine energy? This is work that I've been doing with my clients and it's really fascinating. I have yet to find anyone who doesn't find this to be a completely different way of looking at the world and especially at looking at personal development and growth because it's so easy to do it from a very masculine place. And so this conversation really helps us find a completely new path into personal development. Where you are in your own you know, personal growth journey, I know you're going to really enjoy this conversation. I am so grateful for giving us the time to share her work. Enjoy the episode. Miriam Cosman, thank you so, so much for coming on to the How to Glow podcast. My pleasure. Miriam is the author. Well, you're a lot of things. And I'd love you to just introduce yourself a little bit too, but I just, I have to hold it up. And I have to tell you, I have a huge Hushkacha Pratchett story about this book. This is Miriam's book, Circle, Arrow, Spiral. She wrote this book. If you have been following this podcast, or if you've ever been in any of my coaching programs, you know that this is required reading. (laughs) This is something that I um, really, really very strongly recommend to the women that I work with. And, and I'm just, I'm just so delighted. I'm so delighted that we were able to work this out, you know, what a year, a year in the making, probably. A long time. Yeah. Could you let us know a little bit? I know you do other things than just writing. If you could share a little bit about what you do professionally and where you are for people who don't know you. Okay. So mostly, um, I, I work in Kirok. I'm, uh, I work for an organization called Nefesh UD, which is similar to Olami. Or actually, it is a branch of, of, of Olami, but it's here in Israel. And um, I teach um, secular Israeli university students. And, you know, in America, so you have a small group of students or maybe a little bit bigger group of students in each university. But here in Israel, we have this interesting fact that the great majority of the people that live here are Jewish. So we have much, the whole organization is much bigger. And I work as a lecturer. So I travel every night to a different city. We have, um, you know, branches at all the major universities and a lot of the, you know, colleges. So I would say in a week, I speak to a few hundred students, secular students, about topics that have to do with Jewish thought, Jewish philosophy, you know, how Judaism perceives the world. So that's what I do a lot of the time. I also write. 
I'm also a doctoral candidate at Barry Line, and I'm still trying to finish my doctorate um, in philosophy, but it's on the topic of gender. And um, I'm working on the second book of this um, circle arrow spiral thing. Um, and I, and I... Yeah, I'm trying to, in the second book, I want to try and define um, the feminine force to try and understand on a deeper level what the feminine force is. And actually what I'm, what the book is based on is I'm going to show how the feminine force really parallels the ideal for the Jewish person in many, many ways. It's almost as if the, um, the woman is sort of like the microcosm of, uh, of a bigger force that the Torah is moving us towards. So it's very, very interesting. And I, I, I guess you asked me to tell you about myself. I am, a, I'm, I am a sort of philosophical person. You know, one of the reasons I hesitated when you asked me is because I'm not really sure how to take all these ideas and, uh, you know, I guess that's your job to translate them into real life. I really, um, people are so complicated. I find them, I find it very difficult to put people into categories. Men are like this, women are like that. I really look at these two forces as sort of archetypes. We all have both of them. And if in a particular marriage, you know, the ratio was not exactly, you know, she's not necessarily bringing the feminine force and he's not necessarily bringing the masculine force, I think it can also work very well. So um, I guess I like to stay on the philosophical level. Huh. Right. And I like to just soak up all the philosophy and figure out how we're going to turn it into a, a project. Um, so that's amazing. I'm so excited. There's another one coming out. I literally, I think two days ago, had someone saying to me, I just wish I could value the feminine more. And so now I can just tell her, well, just the book is coming. <laughs> I told her to read this one. She hadn't read this one yet. But um, so can I quickly tell you my Ashkacha Pratja story with this, with this book? Okay, we made Aliyah just over three years ago. And at the time, your book was out of print. And I checked about, you know, on a regular basis, I would go onto Amazon and check. And we were living in Atlanta, so they didn't have that in the bookstore. And I kept going on to Amazon and checking it's $430, you know, because Amazon will change it. Like if there's one available, like they can, you know, bring the price up and it's all automated. So it was like $400, $200. I'm like, I don't know. Should I do it? Like, should I spend hundreds of dollars? I really, really want to read this book. And, you know, never got around to it. We made Aliyah. We um, go down to the little Mercaz and we're buying our kids some barakas or whatever. And my husband and I are both book nerds. So we found the bookstore. We're so excited. I walk in the first book I see on the shelf was your book. Just sitting there on a bookshelf in a store. I couldn't believe it. After, you know, over a year of trying to track this book down. And I just really felt like in that moment, it was like this hug from Hashem. Like, you, I wanted you to come. I wanted you to be here. Because here's a present. Here's a welcome present. So. Was a nice moment. I didn't know that um, I actually Hashem asked me to plant it there in the bookstore for you. When oh, he thank heard you. <laughs> Appreciate it. You took a trip to Ramabit Um, So if you wouldn't mind sort of sharing with us a little bit about, for, again, for people who aren't as familiar and also those of us who need a refresh, a little bit of the archetype of the masculine and the feminine and, and what you mean by spiral. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Um, Actually, when I was thinking about what we would talk about today, I was thinking about one of the things that sort of, okay, you know, let me answer that in, in a very specific way. So the, the, the I'll, I actually have it here so I can show you. So, but I see it goes opposite. I have to put my finger on the opposite side because it's a mirror image. So this is the arrow. And then I use um, as a defining, as a symbol to, to explain the, the masculine force, 
which is the force that we all have, which is a drive for excellence, for accomplishment, for acquiring. And it's an arrow because it's like heading upwards. We want to reach something that we're not there. Basically, the defining force of the arrow is I'm not happy with where I am right now. In other words, I want more. I want more of whatever it is. And this is obviously an extremely important force because without it, we'd all just sit around in whatever situation it is. I mean, it's the driving force behind discoveries. It's the driving force behind science. It's a driving force behind writing books, right? In other words, there's something I want to accomplish. This force is by definition critical and judgmental. Because if it wasn't critical and judgmental, what's the point of going anywhere? If everything's fine, let's just sit right here. And the circle force, which is like a defined, it's the symbol I use for the feminine force. And by the way, neither of these, none of, the, none of these three symbols are um, original. And in fact, um, in Kabbalistic literature, the idea of the circle and the line force, it's not an arrow, but line force uh, um, is found, and interestingly, also in other ancient societies. In other words, this is a masculine force, this is a female, a feminine force exists. Um, so the idea of the feminine force is, I'm not interested in going anywhere. I want to experience the here and now. I want to totally revel in uh, in what I'm doing right now. I'm happy with where I with what I am. I would actually say, and I think this is something. This was somewhat of a revelation. Uh, to me, and I think to people who read it, that the defining feature of the feminine force, the way we're describing it right over here, is pleasure. You know, most people, when they want to be like more feminine, they would, uh, or let's say a woman wants to like, you know, be better. So she tends to like, oh, I need to do more, I have to drive more carpools or, you know, do more facets and more people suppers, uh, you know, daven more, say more to him, whatever it is. And really the defining feature of the circle of this feminine force is the ability to literally revel in pleasure to enjoy which is fascinating because yeah. um you see how the halacha really um reflects that because you know say the mitzvah of ona the man's obligation is to give her pleasure what's her obligation so she doesn't have an obligation because you can't command somebody have pleasure right that's not like a commandment but obviously it's uh you know if his command is to give her pleasure so her you know so it's understood that she has to understand how to have pleasure. She has to be willing to allow herself to have pleasure. So that's really. Right, that's and this really is the name of the podcast. That's why the podcast is called, called what it's called. Because oh, really? my husband's hop was, my job is to make you glow. And I was like, but I don't want to make you glow. That doesn't drive me. He said, I think your job is to figure out how to glow. And that's why it's called how to glow. Really? So it's interesting beautiful. that it's tying in here. Right. So then the spiral would be. Um, and and what I maintain in the book, and I think is is um, is true in general, is that the goal of Judaism is for us to be able to create each one of us to create a spiral in our own life. So, like, um, if each of us have a male and female force, the spiral is, let's say, synthesis of these two forces. I want to progress. I want to achieve. I want to accomplish. But I want to do it in a holistic way. I want to take all of myself with me wherever I go. I don't want to become like a caricature. Caricature is somebody who yeah. is excellent at one thing, but terrible, you know, but in every other area, they're like, so I want to grow, but I want to grow in a holistic way. And what I maintain is that the whole halachic structure is, uh, is sort of, if once you look at it through the, those lens, you can sort of see that, that, you know, the mitzvahs, or I would say the whole system is sort of geared towards every human being creating that synthesis within himself between the, the male force and the female force. Neither one, you know, each one by themselves is a distortion. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you just sit there enjoying, or if you just if you're constantly running and producing and accomplishing, in both both those situations, you can see that it creates a distortion. There's, you know, there is that synthesis in marriage. There's also synthesis within yourself. There's also synthesis within Israel as a whole. There's also synthesis between the Jewish people and the non-Jews. There's also synthesis between us and Hashem. In other words, these two forces play themselves out in many, in, in every sphere of existence, or put it that way. Mm-hmm. And you, you talk about in the book how that Eastern culture is more attuned with the circle energy and, and Western culture is more of an arrow type of thing. Um, I, I work with English-speaking women. And so the women that I'm working with are very, very heavily influenced by Western culture. And when you described in you the beginning the, the critical, I'm not happy with where I am. I want to keep moving. I want to figure out the next thing. Yeah, and next thing. Yeah. Doing a lot of things, perfecting yeah. type of energy. To me, that brought up the image of a lot of women in, in my mind. Um, if, and, and as you said, we have both of us within us, but is there a, a lack of of emphasis or or prioritization of the feminine do we do we value it if we come from a western culture where we're really looking for that end product that goal that achievement in so much of our culture as i was thinking about what you know what to say in a marriagey kind of framework i think that one of the things first of all i'll just say this in parentheses without explaining it a lot but you know I do mention in the book that the world is moving closer to the more feminine way of looking at things. So, you know, when I wrote the book and I said, this is West and this is East, you know, it's a little bit superficial because there's a lot, a lot of feminine energy that's seeping into Western culture. And you can see it in so many different um, societal trends, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, gender identity and whether it's a sort of equalization of everything and to be, you know, this whole idea of being against merit. Accepting students because they're they're good students instead of accepting everybody. You know, like this idea of equalization is definitely there's the feminine force is becoming much more prominent in many ways in Western culture. But the bottom line is that we are driven. We're driven. We're driven. Jews are driven, and Western people are driven, and we're all driven, and we're you know we're all running, and we're all doing. We're trying to accomplish, and our sense of identity is very very much based on what we do. And um, yeah, I can hear that. Um, I can hear that women need to sort of, women and men need to become more friendly with that feminine force. But what bothers me uh, sometimes when I hear, you know, this this male force and the female force, and I explain it in length in my book, are often referred to as the mashpia and the makabel. And the mashpia is the influencer and the makabel is the receiver. And that's based on the biological model because he gives the seed, she receives it. So like you said, your husband said, your job is to... Uh, know how to glow or to learn how to glow or to be comfortable glowing. His job is to make you glow. So obviously, you know, that dynamic exists and it, it's the basic dynamic of the masculine and the feminine. But I think that um, a lot of times it can feel forced. In other words, people sort of use the idea of mashpia and mechabel to um, sort of make some old-fashioned values in through the back door. Like sort of say, you know, you're try- you really should make your husband into this authority and you should accept his authority because I want you to understand that a mashpia and makandal by definition is hierarchical, right? Because you have, let's say, this is the mashpia, right? And this is the makandal. So clearly the mashpia is on top, right? And that 
So then it's sort of like, let's say, you know, even Laura Doyle, who's sort of like a guru on this topic. So she talks about how, like, you know, let him run things and let him take responsibility and use her. And I have absolutely nothing against it. And, you know, I'm always pro some anything that works and that makes people feel good about life, about marriage and makes their marriage better. But on a certain level, it is sort of saying, make him the boss and accept that. And again, and I'm not even saying that that's not true at all. Maybe there is that element of that. But I think what's what would be helpful to people is to try and understand this feminine force on a deeper level. Like we mentioned before, that the arrow is critical and it has to be critical. Critical is like the definition of movement, critical, discerning. I want this. I don't want that. And the circle voice, on the other hand, I often use the word love to describe the circle force. When I am pleasuring or when I am in a mode of total acceptance, that very closely resembles love. Like when you love somebody, when you're really in love with someone, you tend to accept them totally without criticism. And it's not a hard job. It's just the way it is. You know, the caricature of the mother, the typical caricature of the mother who like literally cannot hear like the, the kindergarten teacher calls her to tell her that her kid's a problem and got in kindergarten. And the mother's like, you just don't understand. My child is like so sensitive and deep and he understands things on such a deep level. And that's the way he's not, that's why he's knocking everybody else's uh, Lego creations <laughs> over. Because you know? he's like a really deep, you know. So, you know, we laugh at her like, lady, are you blind? And, and, and the answer is, yes, yeah, she is blind because she, you know, okay, that's a character. We hope we're not that mother that we can see our child holds. But we do tend, when we love somebody, to be so uncritical that we totally accept them. And, and I feel like if we could understand the feminine force more on that level, that it's not so much who's going to make the decision and who's, it's really just that we want to bring the world closer to a place of love and acceptance. And it's just fascinating that when we're around somebody, like you described, again, to this idea of glowing. Love really does make us glow and it makes us glow in the sense that we're not critical. We ourselves are not critical. And we also feel that the person who is giving us that love is projecting towards us such total acceptance of us that, um, that, you know, we're, we're motivated. It's, you know, it's very interesting that, that symbiotic relationship, but it's not necessarily the criticism that makes us grow that makes us change. Like when you criticize somebody, you think, here, I'm helping you to grow. I'm just telling you what you should be doing differently. And very often that doesn't work. And on the other hand, when you allow yourself to see the greatness in the other person and project that back to them and, um, you know, totally accept them, then the person themselves can figure out or is motivated to change what they need to change without your, without your input. I sort of think, I feel like we don't understand it. Like the, the feminine force is appealing because it's, um, it's appealing to everyone. Man, everybody knows, every, you know, everybody knows that the place where the real work is, is the feminine force. It's this ability to accept, to love, to see the good in the other person, to, you know, to really, in Hebrew, there's the word feel, which it means, I guess, to accept, but it really means like sort of to like make yourself into a vessel big enough to receive what the other person really is without judgment. And, um, you know, when your friend, when that person said to you, like, I wish I more identified with the feminine force, 
I'm sure she does identify with it on a deep level. She just sort of associates it with in some way being like a yes man or all smiley and sweet with no ideas of her own. And that's not what it's really talking about. Right. 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 That's very interesting because, you know, I, I, the way that you described it was so beautiful because my experience listening to you talk about it, I had all these people pop up in my mind, right? Like I was able to just remember these different moments throughout my life where I had that feeling of someone seeing me for who I couldn't even imagine myself being yet. Not being yet. Um, and, and how that absolutely, it, it almost gives you permission to grow where the critical can sort of have you dig in your heels. Right? Like I'm right for being the way that I am. Don't you tell me I should change. Like I have justification. And so I think that that's, that's really, really beautiful. It also made me think a lot as you were speaking about the difference between the week and Shabbos, right? That we're during Shabbos, this is like, as you said, the, the real work happens in the feminine right. in that time when we're not so busy with getting everything done and making everything better and improving our lives. There's nothing to do. There's nothing you can change. That's when our relationships go up to the next level. That's when we're able to really connect with the people around the table with us, people in our, hopefully, <laughs> the people in our lives. Right. Very, very much so. And, and there's another aspect that I, I want to just point out because I think it's really, it's fascinating, especially like at this time of year, that the, um, the arrow is a, is a hierarchical voice. In other words, it's, it's, it's the whole foundation of the, that male voice is hierarchy because you can't uh, go anywhere. You can't plan to get here unless there's a year. In other words, by definition, there's a, a below, above and below. And there's an, an intrinsic um, competition in this force because um, obviously if I want to get here, if you already got here, then I'm not here anymore. Then I have to go here. So there's mm -hmm. your success. Mm -hmm. Anyone else's success is sort of my, um, my, uh, my failure. I don't want anybody else to succeed. So like if I'm in the arrow mode, I might want my, my team to succeed, but I don't want another person who's outside my team to succeed. So why do I want to mention this? Because I feel like when you look at the women in Tanakh, and I'm thinking about that this right during, you know, these partials right now, like, you know, the women that had such a, you know, they really were the ones that made this whole story happen. And they're not these like sweet little, you know, smiley, whatever you say, kind of people in the slightest bit. They were really the ones like the two midwives who went to, you know, who disobeyed Paro. And had Miriam, who went over to Bagya and offered, you know, to, to, to bring the baby to her mother. And Bagya herself, I mean, she, you know, she is an amazing woman. She, she was the daughter of Paro. Could you imagine that? Like, she was the daughter of Paro. And she takes Moshe Rabbeinu and she brings him up under Paro's nose in the, in the palace. I mean, it's just like such an act of total disregard for status and hierarchy. And I feel like every one of those women, that's what they were doing. They were sort of saying, it means nothing to me who's above and who's below. All I'm interested in is the relationship, is, the, is what's the right thing to do. And that's, that is such a fascinating facet of femininity that, um, and by the way, you know, this has brought down a, a number of uh, feminist philosophers talk about uh, uh, the female disregard for rules, for rules and regulations. Uh, I think Piaget uh, talks about how like little girls tend to ignore rules, like they're playing jump rope 
you know, or something like that. So the, the rule is if you do, if you touch the robe or whatever, you're out. So they'll say, no, but she's not out because she's my best friend. And they're not even embarrassed <laughs> to say that. I mean, like, they don't feel like they have to pretend it really is a rule. And he says that man, he's a little boys playing are very big sticklers for rules. And, you know, th this is based on rules and regulations because any movement upwards, somebody has to decide what the upward is. So either it's that you have this kind of car or that you have a certain degree that you got at this university and not that university. In other words, the rules are very important if you're in this progress because it has to be clearly delineated what's up and what's down. Whereas this boy, he sort of laughs at that whole thing. Like, who says that this kind of car is better than that kind of car? They both have four doors and a wheel and a gas pedal and a brakes. You know what I mean? Right. In other words, from this perspective, the point is what's going on on the inside. Like, who cares? So I think that even if you want, if you want to go with the Laurel Doyle kind of approach and say, let him be in charge of the finances, I think that at its depth, and I don't know, I wouldn't say Laurel Doyle is dealing with lots of depth here, but let's say she is, right? I wouldn't say that the, the depth is let him deal with the finances because, um, you know, because there is some intrinsic need for him to be higher. I think it's more like if that's good for the relationship, who honestly cares who's in charge? In other words, the question of who is running things is just not relevant to this voice, whether it's male or female. And notice that most of our gadolim, really many of the, I wouldn't say most of our gadolim, I think many of the stories we hear about our gadolim, what are we, what are we talking about that's so wonderful? is that we can see how they literally sort of laugh at this whole idea. You know, there's that famous story of Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. They asked him, how did he walk down to the chuppah with his children? Like, you know, two mothers and two fathers or the mother and the father. And he said three times like this and three times like that. And what do you say? Whichever way the Mufletanim wanted, that's what I did. You know, th now that's a circle voice, right? He was obviously not a woman, but I'm saying the circle voice. So like, what's important here is the relationship. What's important here is the fact that we love each other, appreciate each other, and not that we don't notice each other's foibles or faults, but our love is bigger than that. And, you know, and it's, I think that if we could move away from trying to portray the feminine force as this like sort of meek voice that like gives in and whatever, and sort of realize it's really a voice, it's, it's, it's like an um, idyllic voice. It's the voice of the future, the voice of the messianic age. It's the voice of being able to see that. It's the circle. We're all part, we're all inside the circle. We all need each other. We're all important to each other. And everybody's faults is, is also their, their um, benefit. You know, they're also, it's also what they're bringing to this story. You know, it's, it's sort of a voice that like is not interested in status, not because of rebellion, but because it sees above, it sees the bigger picture. It's like that mm -hmm. cosmic laughter. Like cosmic laughter. Yeah. I, I see you the, say? I, the cosmic laughter idea. Like I see the beginning, the middle, and the end of the story, and um, right, exactly. I kind of step I'm back from all of it. Right. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. If a person is, was, I'm happy that you said this also about the um, the feminine is not just either meek or 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 doing nothing. One of the ways that I had described this previously for myself, sort of the, what, what is this glow idea or what is this feminine idea? And I, I said, I sometimes feel like I'm a happy charging station in my home when I'm in this mode. It's like people come like little bat, like, like they're recharging their batteries near me, you know, and then they go off to play. And, and then somebody afterwards was like, but does that mean I have to just sit on my couch? <laughs> you know, like for me to be doing that. And, you know, like you said, it, it, 
it, it is still a voice. It's still a, an energy of of growth and movement, but not. I guess what you're saying is sort of not from a place of it's not right now. It's wrong now. It needs to be fixed or it needs to be better, but just sort of from a place of almost like seeing the whole big picture. Would that sound right? right? Yeah, I mean, first of all, there was the internet connection was not so stable for a second there. So I missed a few words, but you were, but I said, you're saying like, when you gave this example of the, of, of, of being like the charging st the station, mm -hmm. you meant sort of like people come in and charge and don't, and the, and the, the charger doesn't, doesn't do anything. Is that what you were saying? That's what she was worried about afterwards. Like I had given that example of, I was just sitting there on the couch and I noticed my kids just coming and just sort of being near me and then perking up and going on with their day. It's like they wanted to be in my orbit versus like, watch out for mommy. She's going to tell you what you didn't do right today, you know? And, um, and that's what, that was her, that was her concern was, does that mean I just have to like sit on my couch if I want to be feminine or if I want to be happy with my life? Am I just like sitting there? Like, what do you do with the to-do list? I, I, you... I feel they think, first of all, I totally agree as a mother with that idea, you know, like on some level, that is, you know, what a mother is. Um, um, and obviously there's so much of your life. I think what's really important is that uh, it, it really makes not that much difference what you're doing. It's more how you're doing it. In other words, basically any sphere of activity could be feminine or masculine. It doesn't really matter what it is. In other words, <clears throat> that's what we're trying to say, that the feminine is not about not doing. It's more about being focused on the goal that the ultimate goal, which is, you know, I mean, an example I've used many, many times, it's, let's say a scientist, right? So, but, you know, if you have a male oriented scientist or, you know, let's say a masculine type of scientist who could be a woman or a feminine kind of scientist who could be a man, we're not talking about men and women. We're talking about two ways of being the masculine focus on, let's say being a scientist would be amassing more and more knowledge because the more knowledge you have is the more power you have. Everybody know, knows knowledge is power, but that's not the only statement about knowledge. You know, knowledge is also pleasure. It's one of the most pleasurable things in the world to have knowledge. And uh, knowledge is also a way to help people, to bring people closer, et cetera. So the question would be more on what are your goals? You know, what are you focused on? And I sort of feel like this is such a, it's just such a fundamental, I, you know, like, um, one of the one of the feminist thinkers coined the phrase the process is the result. So what does that mean? That in very often in activities that have to do with mothering or wifing or whatever it is, you know, just you know, things that are traditionally feminine. So you realize that, like let's say putting your kids to bed. So if you if you um, are focused on the goal, which is like here I have kids running around the house, my goal is to have them in bed quietly, right? So, you know, however you get them from this stage to that stage is fine. You know, like if you throw them into bed, scream at them, yell at them or whatever, you still accomplished your task. But anybody who understands relationships knows the process is the result. The question is, did you get your kids into bed? It's how did you get your kids into bed? You know, did you read them a story? Did you sit next to them? Did you listen to what their you know, nightmares are about? Did you stroke their little cheeks? Did you give them a kiss? Did you make them feel loved when they fell asleep? And, you know, it might be they went to sleep later or it took you longer, but everybody knows the process is the result. Now, that's true, really, as a, as a yid. You know, that's the job as a Jew, like that we're not asked at the end of the day, what did you do? Because a lot of things that we do and that we take pride in don't have that much to do with, you know, like, 
you know, it's, it's a delicate balance, but the truth of the matter is many of us wish we could do big things, but we don't necessarily have the ability to do those things for many reasons. Because somebody who has more money can do more of this or that. Somebody who has more talent in a particular area can do more of that, of this or that. So the question, I think that, you know, the, the ultimate question is less, what did you do? But more, what did you try to do? What, uh, how did you do it? What was your process, right? Everybody knows that if you kind of give a lot of tzedakah, but you make people feel bad. If you smile at someone, you don't have money. Like we know that the smiling is worth more, right? Because it's who you are, what you're bringing to the situation more than what you actually accomplished. So you had mentioned about the, the sort of finding the synthesis of the spiral, um, you know, within the relationship, within Yisrael, in so many different ways. I want to just focus on within ourselves. Um, since we don't have you as a, a whole series here. <laughs> so if a person's listening to this and they're thinking, wow, I really spend a lot of time on one side or the other. I think, you know, I, I think a lot of women are going to be feeling this one. Of the, I, I'm always in my to-do list and it's hard for me to stop. But I'm sure that there's the, the, the opposite as well, feeling like I, you know, it's hard for me to get going on that to-do list. I'd rather just really just sit and be and enjoy. But there's things that I really should be accomplishing. I know you said you like to be in the philosophical and not the practical, but I'm going to push you on this one a little bit in case there's any wisdom that we can, we can take from this. What does that look like for a person? I Meaning, do we go with, a, okay, if you're strong on one meter, then you go to the other side and you practice that for a while? Do I only do to-do lists for two weeks and then see if I balance out in the middle? Or is it more about sort of intellectually valuing that spiral? You know, like I said, I really, uh, you know, if you're asking about how how a person, uh, you know, decides what they need to do. I mean, I think one of the fundamental muster rules, which, by the way, is a very masculine way of looking at the world. And it's just very funny to me because, okay, I, I, mentioned, I mentioned in my book that different streams of Judaism are, are more masculine or feminine. I'm talking about Orthodox Judaism right now, you know, like there is. The Muslim approach was in, in many ways is masculine and, you know, let's say more of the, um, you know, Brussels taken very much to this whole idea of, you know, meditation and Ispodidus being with Hashem and joy and whatever, which is a more feminine approach. So, but I come from a very Litvish Muslim kind of background and um, there's no question that the message is do what's hard for you. In other words, if you want to know what what you should be working on, you should be work, you know, like whatever, it does not come naturally to you. And um, so let me say that for a minute, then I'm going to, I'll qualify it with a more feminine perspective, but the, okay. you know, that, that basically says, you know, if you find yourself, you know, you have a hard time davening, which is feminine. Why do we have a hard time davening? And I, I just find it, you know, like, it's just unbelievable. Like let's say sometimes I have to daven, so I'm almost willing to do anything like clean the refrigerator. Rather, oh, I must clean the refrigerator. Oh, whoops, shkia, right? I, I mean, like, honestly, was it easier to clean the refrigerator than it would be to daven mincha? And in a certain way, yes, because davening mincha is stopping. Cleaning the refrigerator, I'm still in control. I'm running, I'm doing, I'm accomplishing. And when you stop to daven mincha, if you do it the right way, you're sort of completely and totally moving, like you said before about Shabbos, I'm moving into a state where I'm not doing, and it's really, honestly, all about relationship, just me and Hashem. I have to stop and look at myself, right? And for somebody who's a, a arrowy kind of person, if that's what's hard for you, clearly that's where your Abogos Hashem is. Clearly that's where you're, you know, and then there are people who, like you said, and I don't think there is much of an anomaly, you know, I think that they do exist where 
their tendency is just to accept things the way they are. And this, you know, like you said, not only getting up and doing things, but I'll just give you an example. Let's say a kid is having an issue in school. So an arrowy kind of person would tend to say, okay, well, how are we going to fix this? I called this therapist, that therapist. I spoke to this one. I got answers from that one. I spoke to the principal. That, and this, the circle kind of person very often will say, probably go out of there. You know, if we just give him time and love him and accept him. Now, that may be true with some things. And it might be a terrible distortion. You know, let's say the kid doesn't know how to read and he's 10 years old. And it doesn't matter how accepting and loving he, this kid needs skills. And it's, it's, it's almost... You know, it's a ter- terrible thing to ignore a child's needs because you just like accepting everything and, and not, if getting up and doing things, if finding out about things, if making decisions and, you know, planning a course of action is hard for you. So I think that, you know, that's a clear message that that's what you have to be working on, you know? So that's like the most kind of approach. Of course, obviously, like I said, that is a sort of masculine kind of approach, but, you know, from a more, if you want to go into that feminist approach, you could say, you know, work with your intrinsic, uh, intrinsic character traits and if you're like an arrowy kind of person you use your arrow maybe for you know to help you become more circling etc so goals set yourself goals you know and and there's truth to that because any type of discipline let's say meditation if somebody really wants to learn to meditate it's a discipline you have to do it every single day whether you like it or not you have to sit there and you know carve out the time and any kind of let's say art writing or whatever they always say to you don't wait for the circle kind of muse to fall on you. Be disciplined, set aside a time every day. So maybe that's more of a feminine approach to sort of use your intrinsic traits to, to move forward and what, you know, I have to think about it. Maybe there'd be a more feminine way of working on yourself. I actually had, a, actually had an interesting discussion with a student yesterday um, who was talk. we were talking about you know, loving, no, loving Hashem. And the student was saying, I think really you have to work first on loving yourself. And the more you love yourself, I had a whole long spiel, like, which was basically expect like very much a child of his, uh, of his, of our current generation. And, um, and what he was saying had some, had some logic to it. The more you love yourself, the love sort of expands and, you know, includes everybody else, you know, so maybe that would be a way of using the feminine voice to progress. Um, whatever that was, that was an interesting discussion, but not, not directly related to what you're saying. So yeah, so that, so I, I don't have any practical, specifically practical thing to say how to achieve the spiral in our lives, except for, you know, a lot, a lot of self-awareness. And I guess one of the most important questions a person can ask themselves, what does Hashem want for me right now? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. I think it's critical also what you're, <laughs> this conversation with the student and what you're saying about sort of thinking about, is it a masculine way of working on myself or a feminine? Because what we often see, what I often see with the women that I work with is our, our default is to come down hard on ourselves in an attempt to do better. And just like we said in the very beginning with the idea of which one makes people actually do better, it's, it's not the person who's running around criticizing everyone and telling them how they should change. It's the person who's saying, I love you and I see something even better for you. So you know, the more that we can incorporate that in the way that we're approaching ourselves. I'm like, I, I get that you made a mistake, but I also haven't given up on you. And I don't think you're a bad person. And I think we could like, maybe there's like some room for feminism, feminine, feminist, I don't know, what would you call it? A feminine growth oriented, you know, approach over there as well. I totally, totally hear what you're saying, Kayla. And I think that, um, you know, by nature, I'm not, you know, you can see that this is something that I'm talking about more on a, uh, you know, by, by nature, I'm definitely more of a person. Maybe 
really your podcast is working, you know, is working from that feminist perspective. And actually that discussion I had with that student was very, very, it really brought out this issue because I, and I just have to say, when you say it, and when my student says it, it's very different to me because when are not, when people who are not from, or, you know, have not accepted the idea of Hashem as, um, as an authority or as a hierarchy, talk about this idea of expansion of self. I feel like what they need to hear is that real love is not only, and this is very clearly connected to our idea. You just have to think about it, but like, there's the concept of love that we are one. And then there's the concept of love that we're two separate beings. Separateness creates a hierarchy on some level. Just the, the fact that we're not the same creates a, because of the physical world, and two things can't be in the same place at the same time. So there is always a jockeying. That's, that's by, and, and marriage is both we are one and we're also two separate beings. So what I was talking about with my student was the idea of recognizing an other. In other words, I feel like on a certain level, when from a secular perspective, when someone says, you know, loving yourself and then eventually you reach out and love everybody else, I feel like the secular world, one of the, the, the you know, the most basic issues that come up now in postmodern thought is the idea of an other. Like I'm so accepting. Like I'm, I'm so uh, unjudgmental. I am so in, unable to create any type of definition or boundary or defining anything that I, that there is no other. The world just basically turns into me, how I view the world. That is the way the world is. There is no other. I mean, the whole, it's very deeply rooted postmodern thought. There is no other. There is no absolute. There is nothing. It's really just how I see things, you know? So that's why with him, I was talking about the idea of, um, of, Love having, you know, if, if you, if you're, if you focus and your students will often say like, I don't believe that God could have said such a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I would say it's very legitimate to try and question, you know, to, to turn to what Hashem says, I don't understand this. And we see many instances of that in Tanakh where people were major, you know, figures in Tanakh that they challenge Hashem. But the bottom line is an, an awareness that I am not Hashem and Hashem has a different, there is an otherness here, right? So to you, that's clear. That's why when you say it, I hear what you're saying and I, I agree. I, I very much hear that as, a, as, as something, a tool that can be used to help us to, to grow this acceptance of love and sort of expanding the borders instead of saying to myself, why don't you ever sit in that circle? Why don't you dive in properly? Right? I, I totally hear that. But I think that, um, so that, so, you know, I totally hear that. And I, and I appreciate that insight that you just gave, but um, with this particular student, I sort of was talking on a different, right. And and I just want to add, Kayla, something interesting that I think is that, like when we discussed before about the midwives, that they did not care about standards and hierarchy and they defied Pyro, right? But the Pusuk says, and you would, it's a, it's a surprising end to the Pusuk. The Pusuk says, and why did they do that? Because they feared Hashem. They, they didn't save the babies because of compassion. They saved the babies because of higher. In other words, there was an other here. And that love and like lack of standards and hierarchy was directed towards the ultimate hierarchy that there was Hashem here. This is fascinating because, you know, the idea that, that the feminine is somehow the, the end goal in many ways, and yet everything is built on the hierarchy in the first place that, right. That we start with the hierarchy. I don't know. I'm just looking forward to the next book. Yeah, but it is, but that is the old, well, so that's what I'm saying that the separateness creates, a, it, 
right? The actual fact that we are not Hashem, or, you know, Hashem stands, pun and pun and face to face. We stand face to face. We stand facing Hashem always. Is, is, is a hierarchy, intrinsic. And it's the same thing, really, you know, husband and wife are on, you know, they're, they're not one, they're two. So there is that separation and that's very important. I feel like I, I keep schlepping it back to philosophy. You keep trying to bring it down to the That's world. the whole idea. That's the whole idea. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Um, and also just all these little tangents are always, always the places where people respond back. Oh, I just needed to hear that one piece. I, I think there's going to be a lot of questions and people are going to have a lot of reflection to do about from the context of marriage, as you said. I, marriage, you said. Where does the hierarchy Where fit? The hierarchy is the hierarchy fit? there? You know, has it been sort of, as you said, sort of these like other ideas are culturally sort of superimposed on a Jewish uh, concept, right? Of, you know, people, Jewish marriages look very different based on what culture they're in, right? And what country, like home country this marriage is in. And I think, and they, they can still, they can all point to the same thing. Right and say, well, that's what that's the halacha that means that it goes like this. Um, so I, I think I I don't know that I, there's anything particularly to give them, but I think there will definitely be some some reflection happening on the part of the listeners in terms of where is that? I mean, that um, you know, there's there's no question that there you know there there are mechol rules that talk about the hierarchical relationship between a man and a woman, and classic among them is the Rambam. Who says that you should be like a sar nelis in your eyes? And like, there's really, you know, I've heard, you know, I was going to say you could stand on your head and spit nickels and do whatever you want with that, but it is hierarchical. You know, like there's not, there's nothing else to do about it. And um, you know, what you say about modern society, it's a very interesting question because one tends to ask that question from the perspective of women, who sort of will say. Um, I don't want to treat him like a king or that's not an equal relationship, or I don't want that, you know, but I often wonder about that, the Rambam statement from the perspective of men. In other words, let's say a woman would want to treat her husband like a king. Would the husband necessarily love that? In other words, would modern man, you know, your typical yeshiva bucker and mirror, you know, does he want to marry somebody who's going to treat him like a king? Because I want you to, I want to make it very clear, a king and and a king and a subject is not an intimate relationship. You can, you know, again, you could stand on your head, but you could, you could try and make it into it, but it isn't. It's describing not an intimate relationship. It's just, it's describing um, a king and subject. And the king and subject, you know, she can, um, she can, uh, you know, accept his views. She can make him into the uh, authority, et cetera. So there's many benefits to it, but it isn't an intimate relationship. And I think that, as we're moving closer to the times of Mashiach, we are, we do tend to put that intimate relationship into more of, of it's, it's more, it's, it's the ideal for us. Now, the sources that talked about an intimate relationship probably way, way outweigh, way, way outweigh the, um, the sources that talk about hierarchy, you know, and that's, and the, the sources that talk about, um, uh, about, uh, about intimacy and mutuality and even equality, one could say, are, you know, our sources in the Tanakh that are talking about the relationship between man and woman specifically. You know, like if you look at Shira Shirin, which is, you know, Song of Songs, which is 
you know, the classic book that's, it's described a love story between a man and woman, and it's called, it's called Kodesh HaKadosh of the Holy of Holies, because it, um, it's a marshal for a relationship with Hashem. But the second Pasuk in Shirim starts off, and it's the woman talking, talking, and she says, he should kiss me with the kisses of the mouth. And it's interesting that, you know, and, com you know, commentaries mentioned that a kiss on the mouth is a mutual kiss. Whereas let's say somebody kisses someone on the hand, you have the kisser and the kissee. The kiss on the mouth is mutual. And that's the, the beginning of the, of, the, of the safer. I think that the way to balance these two voices is that even with Hashem and Kali Yisrael, there obviously is a hierarchy. I mean, Torah is based on the hierarchy that Hashem commands us. Hashem commands us. That's the bottom line. He tells us what to do, and we do it. The very word mitzvah is a commandment. Hashem commanded us. But the depth of a mitzvah, the Zohar says this, and it's a fascinating concept of the word mitzvah, the Shorish is sadibad, which is commandment. But the Zohar says that the word tzav also has the word tzavta, which means together, or tzavet, word we know in Latin Hebrew, which means staff. You know, tzavet is a staff, but it means tzavta means together. And the Zohar says this, that in a certain way, by allowing for the hierarchy, in other words, which I'm going to even say by allowing for the separateness, by respecting and uh, allowing for borders, that is the way that we come to Batsavta. We, we come to this togetherness and intimacy that, that, that that's the ideal. So with men, you know, husbands and wives, maybe we can understand it on a deeper level. As far as us and Hashem, we have to be very careful what we say and what we think. You know, there's no question that Hashem commands and we do. But the ultimate vision, I think, of Judaism is that we become partners with Hashem, that we're betzapta with him to bring the world to, you know, to a better place. Maybe that would be helpful with this, uh, this idea of, is, you know, is there an intrinsic hierarchy? Yes, yes, there is, because there, because there has to be, because separateness creates a hierarchy. Why is the man higher on the hierarchy? Okay, that maybe you have to read my book for it. But uh, there, there are, you know, it could be explained. It could, it could be explained on a metaphorical level. But the bottom line is, I think that what could make uh, people more comfortable with the idea in, in our society that, you know, doesn't like the idea of authority or hierarchy or whatever, is that it seems very clear from the sources that the hierarchy is a, is a means to an end. And the end goal is that circle, is that complete and total unity and love and oneness. It's such a paradox. I mean, we brought up Laura Doyle earlier. So we'll yeah. also bring up Esther Perel. She talks about how in relationships, there's this tension of we want this oneness togetherness. And then once we get to that place, there's boredom and monotony in the relationship. And that what we have to do is go counter our, our sort of intuitive desire to, to become one and, and create that separateness because that separateness is what creates that tension, which creates the attraction and creates the ongoing sort of excitement in the relationship so that it doesn't just sort of all become this like, yeah, I know him. I know all about him. I know his thing. This is what he does, you know, but it's, wait, what, what else is going on over there? Maybe there's something more to, to, you know, so it's always cool to see how, you know, some of these things can show up, um, you know, and, and as you said, also just the, the idea that the, the postmodern world starting to see, I hear in the coaching world, you know, these non-Jewish coaches will start well, the divine feminine force is now unleashed in the world. And I'm like, well, Miriam Cousins is. 
I don't think that's what you're referring to, but maybe kind of you are, you know? It, yeah, because, uh, because the world is, you know, Hashem is vast. The world is vast. And uh, there are things going on on so many different levels. And I, I, to me, that's fascinating that, you know, the coaching world and the new agey world and the, you know, and the postmodernist world is like, there's no question that we're moving, you know, and that, that is an interesting thing because, okay, maybe we'll just use that, you know, maybe as a final concept that the feminine world is lower on the high. If you're talking hierarchically, hierarchically, if you're talking from an arrow perspective, there's no question. And I think anybody who tries to prove otherwise is, is ignoring a lot of sources that the feminine is lower on the hierarchy. From an arrow perspective, I'm talking about Judaism, not about the regular. Like, there's no question in halacha that there is a lack of equality. It always bothers me when people say they're not, you know, women and men are equal, just different. It's, it's just not even true. I mean, I don't even know why people say that. I mean, just look at the first parak of Gracious where it says William Scholbach. I mean, does that sound equal to anybody? I mean, that's that's exactly what it says that he is going to. That there is going to be an element here of lack of equality. Um, why? Why? Why would that be? So on a very deep level, in the world that we're in right now, the post-Ganadian world or the pre-Ganadian world, whichever one you prefer, the woman, the feminine force is lower on the hierarchy because this is a world of progress. This is a world of sequel. This is a world where we have to get things done. This is a world where the arrow is very important. And the, uh, you know, the chosenness of the Jewish people, which obviously implies a hierarchy and the, uh, the, you know, putting Hashem's word first and denying the me experience and making space for the you experience, you know, for Hashem. So the feminine force in this world is a little bit dangerous. And what we could see is that in the long run, what Hashem has done you know, the, the vast picture is that Hashem gives us moments of feminine. You know, for example, there are many more men, you know, mentioned in the Tanakh than women. There are a number of, you know, fascinating, very pivotal stories about women, but there's no question, you know, the number of Nevi'os towards the number of Nevi'im, etc. There's no question there isn't equality there because the feminine voice is not really this world it's sort of like we have we have tastes of it like you mentioned Shabbos I mentioned davening you know like all these voices and there's many others right the love experience those are all like tastes of the feminine voice but there's a hierarchy because the feminine voice is a little dangerous in other words if you move into the feminine voice before we come to that ultimate you know time when Hashem and there's real astas then um, it, then it, it's, it's an incredible distortion. Like, you know, like you mentioned, what you read about it, you know, with these coaches or, you know, the, whatever. The idea of total and complete acceptance of everything with no, um, with no ability to discern or to criticize is very, very dangerous in this world. And, you know, like I said before, I feel like we can see this all over the place, like that the world is, the Western world is moving towards the feminine voice more and more in a very distorted way. So uh, I think that's why, you know, on a deep level, that's why there is an intrinsic hierarchy. At the same time, there's a message that if you can do it right, the ultimate goal is, uh, 
is is complete and total, you know, mutuality and I guess you could say equality on some level. Thank you so much. This was amazing. I also just want to say that for anyone, this I think we are only scratching the surface here. There is so, so much more inside of your book. And so if anyone has still not got their copy and read it, I personally am just adding one more recommendation that people check it out and, and give it a give it a read. Um because I think that there's, you know, it is philosophy, but for me personally, I think it really um it really did show up in my life in a very practical way. So thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your time sure. with us. Your time with us. Okay. It was a pleasure. And uh, I Thank guess uh, we can wish everybody to find a way to live a spiral in their life. Right? Yeah. Which, I mean, yeah. Thanks <laughs> for having Thank me. Thank you so much. Be well.